everyone. Welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hey. Hey, it's freezing outside. Uh, Yeah, what a surprise. It was like, it was like negative eight this weekend. (laughs) And I got an alert on my phone that New Hampshire was going to be um, negative 100 degrees wind chill on Saturday night. How is that possible? How can you have... I can okay. I can see zero degrees. Sure, meaning you have no degrees. No degrees, none. But once you're, once, once you're in the negative, negative degrees, yeah, we're gonna have to have Steve explain Ugh, like that science. to you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, but you know what will warm us up here is uh, the flame of righteous anger. <gasps> so, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, um, uh, today's topic I'm very excited okay. about. I was doing research on it. And again, as you know, I'm an art historian working in a science museum. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes it gets lonely. You know Aww. what I mean? Uh, so doing research on this topic, I'll be talking today about uh, a famous woman artist. Um, and her name is Artemisia Gentileschi. And today's topic will be known as Slaying Holofernes, Artemisia Gentileschi. So, have you heard of Artemisia? I have. Oh, yes. Uh, this, I mean, I'm going to be taking, just full disclosure, everyone, I'm going to be taking you to women's studies, Ooh. and that is women with a Y. Oh. All right? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going full. Oh, okay. So, guess what? Oh, I do have to go put a load of laundry in. Is that okay? You <laughs> no. can just like... <laughs> no. That is it. Start growing out your pit hair and put in a tampon. We're going full women's studies. <laughs> Uh, oh, I have a funny, <laughs> sorry, side funny story about tampons. So I was, no, this is PG. This is a PG story about tampons. I, w- I was like in a rush. I got ho- to work and I had to like go and help deinstall an exhibit. And I brought a couple of cheese sticks for snack. Okay. So I like threw them in the fridge in my office yeah. and like ran out. And then when I came back, I was like, I'm going to have those cheese sticks, you know, because it was like late morning, you know? Yeah. And I realized instead of the two cheese sticks from my purse, I grabbed two tampons and threw them in the fridge. <laughs> Just, <laughs> mm, just that for that nice chilling just, sensation. <laughs> so you got chili tampon. So I think I, I actually I just came up with a a business idea. <laughs> so, but no table that mm-hmm. serious feminism. Yeah. Um, Artemisia. So Artemisia Gentileschi, and I'm also going to, by the way, really flex my Italian muscles today. Please. So I'm very excited about that as well. <coughs> so. Artemisia Gentileschi, she was an Italian Baroque painter. She is uh, today considered one of the most accomplished painters in the generation following Caravaggio. Mm. Um, She painted many pictures of strong and suffering women from myths and the Bible. These women were victims, they were suicides, and they were warriors. Uh, She was born on July 8th, 1593, and she died around 1656. And for many years, she was regarded as just a curiosity, just like a woman who painted how weird women can paint. Uh, today, she is regarded as one of the most progressive and expressive painters of her generation. And it's true. I mean, aside from her story, her paintings are truly beautiful mm. and very uh, dynamic. 
So Artemisia, we'll start at the beginning. She was born Artemisia Gentileschi Lomi in Rome on July 8th, the eldest child of the Tuscan painter Orazio Gentileschi and Prudentia Montone. This is some great names. I know, aren't they great? It's going to get better. Not just Vinny. No, Vinny and Maria. Yeah. (laughs) You got Orazio (laughs) and Prudentia. So uh, Artemisia was introduced to painting in her father's workshop, and she showed much more talent than her brothers, uh, who she worked alongside. Uh, She learned drawing, how to mix color, and how to paint. And since her father's style took inspiration from Caravaggio during that period, her style was just as heavily influenced in Mm. turn. Artemisia had to resist the traditional attitude and psychological submission to this brainwashing and jealousy of her obvious talent. And there was a lot of jealousy of her talent. Uh, By doing so, she gained great respect and recognition from her work. So the first work, the first like substantial work of 17-year-old Artemisia... (sighs) 17 was, i couldn't even paint my nails right? right i had to like i had i my lefty was fine but righty <laughs> needed a q-tip and some oh, yeah. nail polish remover and even then the skin and was god stained. help you if you were out of nail polish remover. Oh, yeah you just have to take a shower and then let it peel off <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile this girl meanwhile so her first sub- substantial work was known as the susanna e i vecchioni which is the susanna and the elders um, at the time, some influenced by the prevailing misconception suspected that she was helped by her father because he was a painter in his own right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's teen definitely girl can't do this. No. Um, but no, she did because she was great. Uh, the image depicts the nude Susanna in the deuterocanonical story in the book of Daniel in the Bible. Do you know what deuterocanonical means? From Deuteronomy? No. <laughs> but that's a good guess. Um, so the canonical story, I didn't realize this until I did the research on this. Um, so, uh, I grew up, um, uh, Protestant, okay. (laughs) Not Catholic. Mm -hmm. So the Protestants only go with the canonical, canonical stories of the old and new Testament. Okay. While Catholics and Greek Orthodox and others of that ilk go also go with deuterocanonical. So these are like extra books of the Bible. So, Hmm. Things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, stories of the Dead Sea Scrolls and things are hmm. part of the canon. And so that's known as the deuterocanonical. So they're not the overarching canon. It's also like a sub-canon that's also okay. accepted. So like um, ancillary material. Yes. Ancillary material. Secondary material. Okay. Yes. So uh, this was a story in the book of Daniel. Um, and in this in this image, she is nude and is being accosted by two elderly creep shows. So in the story, so the story goes, um, she, they watched her bathe in her garden, these two elderly elders, uh, hence the nudity. Mm. And they, pro- they both propositioned her to have sex with them. And they threatened to testify that she was with a young man alone in her garden if she didn't comply. Uh, she refused and was sentenced to death for adultery. And Daniel, who was not a prophet at the time, but the future prophet. This is like Lion's Den, Daniel? Um, yes. Okay. Um, he is visited by an angel during her trial. So he intercedes and interrogates the two elders separately. Very mm. key in mm-hmm. law and order. Uh, learning that their stories didn't match up, uh, including like they both described a tree differently. And he was like, ha ha, <laughs> I got you. Uh, so Susanna was freed and the two elders are arrested. Uh, it is one of the few paintings on the theme of Susanna showing the sexual accosting by the two elders as a traumatic event. So what's interesting is this theme was popular among artists mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, at the time. Because they got to paint a naked lady. And also call it a biblical yeah. painting. Yeah. Uh, so examples of this include by Tintoretto, 
um, Rembrandt and Peter Paul Rubens, but Gentileschi's is one of the most dynamic. So I looked mm. up these paintings. I was like, was it? And um, a lot of them were like, this. The, it's like a beautiful, very pale nude woman in a gorgeous garden setting. And mm-hmm. she's wearing jewels for some reason because I oh, always bathe well, with yeah. my jewelry. And two creep shows are usually like <laughs> peeking over a wall or they're, you know, like crawling up behind her or whatever. And she's always, she has a very neutral facial expression, mm. which is very interesting. But in the Gentileschi piece, it's just like she's sitting on a ledge. There is a short wall. She's sitting below the wall. And the two men are like crawling over the wall and like trying to grab oh. her. And she's fighting them off with both hands. Okay. And she's her mouth is open and her eye, her brow is furrowed. Mm. Like she's screaming. And it's very like, you really get the sense like, no, she does not want yeah. this. Wow. Um, so that kind of thing was very interesting yeah to see of her work even as a 17 year old that she recognized that this, this yes. story something wasn't right yeah something's not right about that and we'll get to more about that in a little mm. bit so in 1611 her father was working with um an artist named augustino tassi to decorate the vaults of casino delle musee inside the palazzo palavincini rispoliosi in rome so uh Arazio hired the painter to tutor his daughter privately mistake <laughs> During this tutelage, Tassi riped Artemisia. Another man, Cosimo Corley, was also involved. After the rape, Artemisia continued to have sexual relations with Tassi with the expectation that they were going to be married and with the hope to restore her dignity and her future. Mm. Does that sound familiar? Women have been doing this. It sounds a little like uh, Catherine Howard from uh, Henry VIII times. Yes, exactly. This has been happening since the beginning Mm -hmm. of time. Um, So... Uh, Tassi reneged on his promise to marry Artemisia and nine months after the rape when he learned that Artemisia and Tassi were not going to be married Orazio pressed charges against Tassi so they actually took him to trial okay Orazio also claimed that Tassi was a painter uh, stole a painting of Judith from the Gentileschi household Mm -hmm. so he also stole something from them Uh, The major issue of the trial was the fact that Tassi had taken Artemisia's virginity. And if she had not been a virgin before Tassi raped her, the Gentileskis would not have been able to press charges. So during Mm -hmm. the ensuing seven month trial, it was discovered that Tassi had planned to murder his wife, had engaged in adultery with his sister-in-law and had planned to steal some of Orazio's paintings. And here's the worst part. During the trial, Artemisia was subjected to a gynecological examination Mm. and torture using thumbscrews to verify her (gasps) testimony. Yeah. Um, At the end of the trial, Tassi was exiled from Rome, although they never carried out the sentence. So Mm. he actually was not ever punished for this. Um, And needless to say, the trial influenced the feminist view of Artemisia Gentileschi during the late 20th century. So So this trial that she participated in, which is rare mm-hmm. in this time period i mean rape happens all the time unfortunately and has been happening since the beginning of you know people understanding what sexual relations were but the fact that she as a woman during this period even with the support of her father took a man to trial and mm-hmm. was subjected to not only a gynecological exam but torture to make sure that she was telling the truth is so rare and the fact that and that it became kind of a sensation in mm-hmm. their area and because it was such a big deal, in it was something that was um, uh, recorded in great depth. And so okay. there is always a reading of her work through this lens wow. that she was raped and actually sought vengeance for it. Mm. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So <clears throat> another terrible thing that happened 
and then we'll move on to better Mm. things. Artemisia was surrounded mainly by the presence of males since the loss of her mother at age 12. Uh, When she was 17, Orazio rented the upstairs apartment of their home to a female tenant. Her name was Tuzia. Uh, Artemisia befriended Tuzia. However, Tuzia allowed Agostino Tassi and Cosimo Corley to accompany Artemisia in Artemisia's home on multiple occasions. The day the rape occurred, Artemisia cried for the help of Tuzia, but Tuzia simply ignored Artemisia and pretended she knew nothing of what happened. Mm. Artemisia felt betrayed by Tuzia, and because Tuzia was the only female figure in her life, Artemisia's works contain a strong sense of the importance of solidarity and unity between women. And you'll see mm-hmm. that a lot in uh, especially her artwork um, having to do with Judith, okay. which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a minute. Um, the painting called Mother and Child is attributed to those early years. It was around like when she was 17 to about 19. Mm-hmm. Um, this painting is astounding. The The baby in the painting has been interpreted as an indirect reference to Augustino Tassi. Um, and as it dates back to 1612, it was just two years after the rape. Okay. So in this painting, I'll just describe it to you. It's not a mother and ch- it's not a, a Madonna and child. Mm-hmm. It's not um, the Christ and Madonna. It's just a woman. And she's breastfeeding a baby. And um, her breast is actually bleeding because the baby has bit her. Oh. And mm-hmm. she is swooning because she is anemic. Yeah. Because like the baby has taken so much of her lifeblood oh. from her that she is like, her eyes are rolling back into her head and she's very, very pale. Mm-hmm. And the baby's face looks like murder. Like oh. dark black shark eyes. Like I'm going to take everything from you. And the fact that it's be, that it's red as Tassi is like incredible. Wow. It's very disturbing to see, but it's beautifully rendered. Like mm-hmm. the skin and the facial expressions and everything is just gorgeous. And it's very highlight and shadow, very Caravaggio-esque. Mm. So a month after the trial, Orazio arranged for his daughter to marry um, Pier Antonio Stiatesi, who was a modest artist from Florence. And shortly afterwards, the couple moved to Florence, where Artemisia received a commission for a painting at Casa Buonarroti. Uh, she became a successful court painter, enjoying the patronage of the House of Medici and Charles I of England. Nice. <laughs> uh, while in Florence, Artemisia and Pier Antonio had a daughter around 1618, uh, who was named Prudentia after uh, Artemisia's mother. Mm. And it is noteworthy that her daughter was a painter trained by her mother, although nothing is known of her work. Aww. So she's kind of been lost to history. In Florence, Artemisia appears to have enjoyed significant success. She was the first woman accepted in the Accademia della Arte del Disegno, which is the Academy of the Arts of Drawing. She maintained good relations with the most respected artists of her time, such as uh, Cristofano Allori, and was able to garner the favors and protection of influential people, starting with uh, Cosimo II of Medici, the Grand Duke of Tuscany, and especially of the Grand Duchess Christina of Lorraine. Mm. Uh, her acquaintance, she was she knew Galileo. Uh, Galileo. Evident- <laughs> Galileo. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, she sang oh, that all the time. Oh, oh, oh. Mamma mia, mamma mia. <laughs> We're just okay. going to do the entire... Right. No, no, it's fine. No, go <laughs> ahead. I mean... I, <laughs> I don't even remember me. Um, so she was she was acquaintanced. She w- knew him in a general way. She wrote him a letter in 1635. And uh, she knew him from their, her Florentine years when mm. she lived in Florence. Um, she was esteemed by Michelangelo Buonarroti the Younger, who was the nephew hey. of the great Michelangelo. Uh, he was busy with the construction of Casa Buonarroti to celebrate his notable relative. And he asked Artemisia, along with other Florentine artists, to contribute a painting for the ceiling. Hmm. 
cool. and each artist was commissioned to present an allegory of virtue associated with Michelangelo and Artemisia was assigned the Allegoria della Inclinazione which is the allegory of the inclination and the inclination means natural talent like mm. the natural oh, cool. genius mm-hmm. um, presented in the form of a nude young woman holding a compass of course oh naturally it is believed that the subject bears a striking resemblance to Artemisia herself um, in fact uh, in several of her paintings she uses herself as her model. <laughs> so she's like, you're building this, this cool place yep. mm-hmm. for this guy. Yep. Uh, I, I'm in it. I got it. Yeah. So I am going to, I mean, yeah, if you, okay. If you could paint <laughs> like a dream, uh-huh. like a genius, wouldn't you paint yourself like beautiful face, painting myself yeah. and then give yourself like a hot ass body. Oh, right? of course. Yeah. Like muscles, muscles, flat stomach, here it bam, is. booty. Yeah. For the rest on of your time. ceiling. Yep. Forever. Forever. Done. Yeah. I mean, that's the dream, right? Yeah. It's an allegory. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. I got a compass. Hey, oh. So, so in uh, 2011, Francesco Salinas discovered a collection of 36 letters dating from about 1616 to 1620 that provide new insight into Gentileschi's personal and financial life in Florence. Mm. Very interesting. Most unexpectedly. Yeah, right. They show that she had a passionate love affair with a wealthy Florentine nobleman named Francesco Maria Maringhi. Curiously, her husband, Stiatesti, was well aware of their relationship and maintained a correspondence with Maringi on the back of Artemisia's love letters. Mm, this is like a Hamilton thing. Is it really? I didn't see it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, uh, um, Alexander Hamilton had a tort affair uh-huh. uh, with Mariah Reynolds and her husband found out about it and was like, oh, you can keep having an affair with my wife, but if you give me some money. So, there's letters that that prove that yeah it says yeah yeah, this guy too stiatesi said he they said it tolerated it presumably Mm -hmm. because maringi was a powerful ally who provided the couple financial support Mm -hmm. so i mean this guy knew where his bread was buttered or his um (laughs) ciabatta was olive oiled if you know what i'm saying italian um (laughs) so so by 1620 rumors of the affair had begun to spread in the florentine court and so they had to get out Mm. of town um and despite her success, financial excesses borne by her for her husband led to problems with creditors and she fell out with her husband. And so she left him and she returned without him to Rome in 1621. Okay. So she was a single mom too. Okay. Like she took Prudentia and they went. So uh, while in Rome and then Venice, Gentileschi reunited with her father where they are thought to have started working again. Um, they worked well together and they worked together off and on uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, Artemisia was looking for lucrative job opportunities and eventually moved to Naples where she spent the rest of her life. Um, in 1638, Artemisia joined her father in London at the court of Charles I of England, where Orazio became court painter and received the important job of decorating a ceiling. Nice. Um, it's interesting to, to think um, it's it, as a historian, even as a historian, I should say, it's hard to kind of like reconcile the same time period. So you mm. think of like, like the Baroque era, you always think of like Italy as like the Renaissance. It's either like mm. ancient Rome or the Renaissance. And then like the sixties, you know, like it's just, <laughs> it's just boom, boom, boom. Um, and then like Charles, the, the realm of like English history is different yeah. in some way. It seems to happen on like a different plane, but the fact that this woman was so successful that she was called, to the court of a very powerful well, king. Well, if the Medici's knew her, yes, then that's exactly. how everyone else found out about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Because once the Medici's liked you, 
Yeah, you and were, they didn't poison you. Yeah, because they because <laughs> they uh, lived poison. Then you know it probably spread through to France and then to England yeah, that way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's kind of it's interesting to like think about that Charles the First of England like supposedly talked to her and was like, make me ruddier, make me look healthy. Nice. Give me that. I'll put on my best wig. Yeah, and I'm and gonna my get highest on a- heels. <laughs> Girl. And pose with my puppy dog. Yep. And I'm going to get on a horse and I'm going to look good <laughs> before I get my head chopped off. <laughs> hey. hey, spoiler alert. He dies. Um, so father and daughter were working together once again. Although helping her father probably was not her only reason t- for traveling to London. Charles I had invited her to his court and it was not possible to refuse. Um, <laughs> Charles I was a fanatical collector willing to ruin public finances to follow his artistic wishes. One of the reasons why he got beheaded. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And the fame of Artemisia probably intrigued him. And it is not a coincidence that his collection included a painting of great suggestion, which was known as the Autoritrato in Veste di Pittura which is the self-portrait as the allegory of painting. Mm. So many allegories. I know, right? They loved allegories. It's like, it's they like how they could get away with anything. Yeah. Oh. oh, it's an allegory of love. This, yeah. this couple copulating on my ceiling. It's an allegory. It's not porn. How dare you? <laughs> and also, like, maybe they just couldn't grasp concepts as yeah. well. You know, not everybody sure. could read. Just saying. <laughs> um, here, here we go. It gets sad. Orazio. Died suddenly in 1639. Mm. We barely knew ye. Artemisia had her own commissions to fulfill after her father's death, although there are no known works assignable with certainty to this period. Mm. It is known that Artemisia had already left England by 1642 when the Civil War was just beginning. So she like... Good. She got out of Dodge. Yeah, she knew what was going on. Um, Nothing much is known about her subsequent movements. Historians know that in 1649, she was in Naples again, corresponding with Don Antonio Rufo of Sicily, who became her mentor during the second Neapolitan period. Man, can I get a mentor? I know, right? How hard is it to get a mentor? The last time... Do I know anybody? I don't want advice. I want like... I guess I want a patron. I guess I don't need a mentor. Yeah. Ooh, we should get a patron. (laughs) Can we get a patron? Do we know any like super rich... Well, we know some super rich people, maybe. (laughs) People on our board or something, right? Hmm. Are, they, is, are any of them really into trivia? <laughs> <laughs> Some rich people who are super into trivia and like a couple of funny ladies. folks. Yeah. If you know anybody rich, please email us at missinfopod <laughs> at gmail.com. Who would like to, you know, sponsor us, obviously. Or, you know, just Casper. I'm not proud. <laughs> <laughs> just Casper. We'll, we'll shill some mattresses. Um, yes. So he, she had a mentor. Sure. The last known letter to her mentor is dated 1650 and makes clear that she was still fully active. So uh, people don't know like what she was painting, but Mm -hmm. she was still like doing commissions. Um, The prevailing thought is that as Artemisia grew older, her work became more graceful and feminine. Mm. And while this was to some extent part of the general shift in taste and sensibility, it must also have resulted from the artist becoming more and more self-consciously a woman painter. Okay. This, mm, we'll talk about this in a second. I don't 100% agree with this particular <laughs> statement, but we'll see. Um, so Artemisia was once thought to have died in 1652 or 1653. However, recent evidence has shown that she was still accepting commissions in 1654. Ooh. Um, although she was increasingly dependent upon her assistant, Onofrio Palumbo. Hmm. Um, and some have speculated that she died in the devastating plague that swept Naples in 1656 and virtually wiped out an entire generation of Neapolitan artists. Which sounds why there wouldn't be like good documentation. Yeah, exactly. Cause a lot of people died and they were just like, we just got to get rid of these bodies now. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. So we're going to talk about Judith slaying Holofernes. Great. Let's talk about that. So we're going to talk about, like, I'm going to give, like, a brief description of the painting if you haven't seen it. We'll tweet out a picture of it. It's, it's a shocking painting for something of that time period. So... The painting has highlight and shadow. The light is coming from the left portion of the painting and like moving to the right. Um, everything is in shadow. It's like you, you turned on like a bedside lamp. That's how bright it is. Okay. Um, Judith and her maidservant are holding down Holofernes who struggles against them. His hand grips the maidservant's is bodice. He a giant? No. Well, he was, he was a warrior. He was like okay. a big, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, so he he grips her bodice with his hand to like get her off of him. And it's a very dynamic movement. You can see that happening in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he screams in pain as Judith pulls the sword through his neck. Blood spurts from the wound in great fountains, getting all over the bed he's lying on as well as Judith's dress. She, on the other hand, grips the sword firmly and has a determined scowl on her face. There is no mercy here. So it is arguably her most famous piece. Why? Because it's seen as a revenge fantasy due to her rape and trial, obviously. Many of historians find this reductive and overly modernized. And, you know, we all want her to be a feminist icon, right? Uh, some even say that her uh, violent and vengeful women were a shrewd exploitation of her celebrity after her trial to glean more money and fame. Oh, I, think it's, I think it's more nuanced than that. The situation is a little the more situation's nuanced than a little that. Bit more than that. Um, she wasn't painting these women in a vacuum, right? So although the subject matter was popular amongst patrons and she wasn't the only woman painter working during that time, there were a lot of other women. They weren't just... Um, there were a lot of other women painting painters who weren't just being commissioned just because they were women. It wasn't mm-hmm. just like a, what's the word we're looking for? Like a novelty. They mm-hmm. weren't just novelties. They were, they were traveling all over the, the royalty in Spain and England yeah. and Italy and everything were commissioning these women. There weren't a lot of them, but there were some, she wasn't the only woman. Um, and so she, but the thing is she didn't have to paint these scenes so violently mm. or put herself in them. And I like to think it was a little bit of a fuck you while taking these assholes money, you know? So, um, more recent critics starting from, uh, the difficult reconstruction of the entire catalog of the Gentileschi, including her father. Um, they tried to give a less reductive reading of the career of Etimisia, placing it, uh, more accurately in the context of different artistic environments in which the painter actively participated. So, Taste change, right? Yeah. Things shift around. You know, the French loved mm, like things that looked like pretty candy. And then the Italians were like, no, I want to see blood. Um, <laughs> and things shift and change and people like what they like. And uh, artists during this time period, if you wanted to eat. Yeah, you just did what you was did what was asked pay of you. you. Yeah, exactly. There, you did, couldn't really afford, especially Artemisia being a woman. You couldn't really afford to be like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. So uh, a reading such as this restores Artemisia as an artist who fought with determination using the weapon of personality and the artistic qualities against the prejudices expressed against women painters, being able to introduce herself productively in the circle of the most respective painters of her time, embracing a series of pictorial genres that probably were more ample and varied than her painting suggest. So sure, her, her artistic style went from like violent ladies killing people killing people to like beautiful soft ladies Mm -hmm. like oh the madonna and child and like oh like familial love that kind Mm -hmm. of thing but that's just it's probably what people wanted from her it wasn't that she was like i'm tired i want to be more of a lady now (laughs) there's you can't really give her that much agency considering like the financial situation she was in so that's my two cents 
Um, the research paper known as Gentileschi Padre e Figlia, which means uh, Gentileschi, father and daughter, mm-hmm. um, which was written in 1916 by Roberto Longhi. He was an important Italian critic. He described Artemisia thusly. <clears throat> the only woman in Italy who ever knew about painting, coloring, doughing, and other fundamentals. He loved her. Um, Longhi also wrote of Judith slaying Holofernes, quote, there are about 57 works by Artemisia Gentileschi and 94%. 49 works feature women as protagonists or equal to men. These include her works of Jael and Sisera, Judith and her maidservant and Esther. These characters intentionally lacked the stereotypical feminine traits, sensitivity, timidness, and weakness, and were courageous, rebellious, and powerful personalities. A 19th century personality commented on Artemisia's Magdalene stating, no one would have imagined that it was the work of a woman. The brushwork was bold and certain, and there were no signs of timidness. Mm. In Ward Bissell's view, she was well aware of how women and female artists were viewed by men, therefore explaining why her works at the beginning of her career were so bold and defiant. So Longhi continued to write, Who could think, in fact, that over a sheet so candid as so brutal and terrible massacre could happen? But it's natural to say, this is a terrible woman. A woman (laughs) painted all this? There's nothing sadistic here. Instead, what strikes the most is the impassibility of the painter. Who was even able to notice how the blood spurting with violence can decorate with two drops the central spurt? Incredible, I tell you. And also, please tell Mrs. Stiatessi, the conjugal name of Artemisia. He calls her by her husband's name. (laughs) The chance to choose the hilt of the sword. At last, you don't think the only aim of Judita is to move away to avoid the blood which could stain her dress? Hmm. So there was I thought he loved her. He did, but I think he was like, (laughs) Artemisia, you don't have to be so violent. You're such a beautiful painter. You don't have to show the blood. Um, but this, this painting has like, we saw it on the toast all the time. Mm. Like this idea of a woman literally like slicing a man's head off. And the painting is literally like a snapshot of her literally in the middle Mm -hmm. of his throat. Um, and it's even now it's really surprising to see. It's a very violent piece. Do we know if it was, uh, commissioned by like, uh, by a Medici? It may, it may have been. Cause that makes perfect sense to me. No, absolutely. Cause you're talking, cause as the quote that you were mentioning, like, Oh, can you, you know, can you imagine that anybody would want a woman to paint something like this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Marie and Catherine <laughs> de Medici would yeah. like you to paint something like that, please. Absolutely. Yes. So that, and that's the thing, like you can think of, there are other personalities at play that may or may not have been men. Uh-huh. in this situation uh-huh. this may have been like you know we talk about women in, in feminist theory you talk about women working in uh, like in the underground so there's a lot of like subtext mm-hmm. of how to communicate and how to get your point across and how to like protect yourself and mm-hmm. how to protect your children and that kind of thing so this idea of like having a subtext where it's like oh i just want this allegory i just want this biblical this story allegory. yeah i just want this biblical story like everyone loves this biblical story I don't know why mm. what you're talking mm. about like it's fine like <laughs> so you see the blood like she's a really good painter yeah whatever <laughs> so it's not all just turning water into wine everyone yeah yeah it's not all peace and love sometimes it's blood and guts and heads and stuff <laughs> and also the other thing is Artemisia Gentileschi's Judas slaying Holofernes is one of the most violent examples of that very popular mm-hmm. theme like others always show the pre or the post. Yeah, so, I feel like I've seen a lot of like somebody holding somebody's head up. Yeah, with, it's usually like yeah. a beautiful, pale-skinned, heavy-bosomed woman 
holding a disgusting man's head on a on like a silver platter mm-hmm. or she's holding it up by its yeah, hair by the hair or mm-hmm. whatever but or like sneaking up with the sword like here i come as he's sleeping but the look on these women's faces is amazing they're just like you know when you're concentrating on like carving up a chicken and you're trying to <laughs> and you're trying to like yeah. i don't want to get the gristle in here yeah. but like or my own fingers or my own fingers but like think about that but cutting a man's head off you know <laughs> <laughs> there's an impassibility to her face that's that's not so much angry as it is i'm getting a job done okay that is utilitarian really, yes that is really like striking to me i'm like she's that's a bitch getting shit done <laughs> so and at the end of all this to like wrap up my mm. women's with a Y studies um linda Nochlin's why have there been no great women artists which is a seminal piece mm. of art history feminist art history work it's only six pages you can get it on as a pdf online i highly recommend it's very good um, so the question, the whole, I'm going to tell you the gist of it. So maybe you don't okay. have to read it. Um, so the question, why have there been no great women artists? The question implies that women are incapable of greatness, right? By asking that hmm. question, you're setting yourself up to be like, okay, there's no way great women artists. And while some might argue with examples such as Gentileschi, and granted this, this piece was written in 1971. This was before okay. Gentileschi was really, um, seen as a an actual like excellent painter in mm-hmm. her own right, despite the fact that she was a woman and a raped woman at the time. Um, they, she was mentioned, but she wasn't hi- as highly regarded as an artist at the time of the piece. But the answer lies in the fact that women have not been allowed to be great in mm. anything, let alone art. So it's a systematic, like there haven't been any great women artists, not because there weren't any great women artists, it's that women weren't allowed to be great right. under the systems that they were living you under. You needed the materials. Mm-hmm. You needed to make wages somehow. Yes. Uh, it's possible that there have been, that there were women artists of the Renaissance yeah. that just never got credited or, you know. Yeah, or they were stuck doing like, you know, sketching in mm-hmm. their home or they learned from a tutor or mm-hmm. they were so lower class they couldn't afford anything even close to what would be even considered art supplies kind of thing. So, or they were married off at 16 and they Mm -hmm. didn't like, why would you even consider painting? That's so frivolous. And I I mean, I just think also it's possible that there were, that there could have been women painters in some of these uh, workshops. Yeah. Like that, you know, Rembrandt had like 400 painters working for him at any given time. You're going to tell me that none of them were women. Yeah. Like, and then you just, you know, they kind of fade into obscurity because their names weren't attached to these things. Yeah. Or so. even if they were the ones who did an entire piece, a lot of times there were men who attached their names to mm-hmm. it, their fathers or their husbands. Yeah. So just more men stepping on the necks of ladies. <sighs> God. So I hope you enjoyed my topic. <laughs> <laughs> Real uplifting. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Well, I hope this gets better. So she's kind of um, the name you need to know if somebody's talking about say 16th 17th century italian yes women women artists artists yes especially judas slaying holofernes that's an that's an excellent example and it's very good i mean get a tattooed on your back it's so good do you know where the original is the original is in it's in um there are two there's a smaller version and there's a larger version and one i think is in a in the Netherlands. Oh, cool. And the other, I think, is in one of the very many, like the Campobello mm-hmm. or something, the Uffizi, something like that. Cool. Um, but I'll look that up. I'll look it up. 
Um, so yeah, that was Artemisia Gentileschi. Wow. May she rest. Um, and she was very successful. I mean, despite her very hard yeah. beginnings, she was successful during her own lifetime. Yes, which is super rare mm-hmm. for artists in general. I mean that that goes without saying. Um, I mean, Van Gogh paint, painted you know eighty eight paintings or whatever in his lifetime, mm-hmm. only sold one, and is now like one of the highest right. regarded artists of any any era. Um, but her specifically, the fact that she, as a woman, was so successful and as well regarded as she was, is unusual yeah. unfortunately so wow so cool there you go everybody um so my quiz is actually related <laughs> um surprisingly enough deuteronomicanica <laughs> yes. yes we're gonna be talking about deuter <laughs> deuterocanonical <laughs> biblical stories <laughs> buckle in no um i'll be talking about great women artists so this is great women artists a quiz question number one Considered one of the greatest feminist pieces of modern women's art, the dinner party is a massive ceremonial banquet room complete with three tables, linens, 39 place settings commemorating an important woman in history. Who is the artist of this piece? Question number two. The contemporary artist Kara Walker received a lot of attention for her 35-foot-tall, 75-foot-long installation sculpture of a sphinx in Brooklyn entitled A Subtlety done in an empty plant due for demolition. What related substance was the Sphinx made from? Question number three. The pottery artist Beatrice Wood was the inspiration for a famously topless film character from a very popular movie in 1997. Name that character and the movie. Question number four. Which artist is considered to be the first professional female painter of Britain? Question number five. Georgia O'Keeffe, the famous artist of what are definitely flowers, wink, had a long-term relationship and artistic collaboration with what equally famous male photographer? Question number six. Yayoi Kusama's repeat-patterned installation art has become especially popular with the Instagram set, mostly due to her favorite pattern. What is that pattern? Question number seven. The German artist Hannah Hoch was a Dada artist during the Weimar period and was a pioneer of what artistic technique which uses other photographs as its medium? Question number eight. Maria Montoya Martinez was a Pueblo Native American artist whose work is still highly collectible today. What kind of artwork did she do? Question number nine. A lot of moms love her work. Which Pittsburgh-born painter and printmaker was most famous for her depictions of mothers and children in loving embraces? And question number 10. This sculptor and activist's artist statement was thusly, quote, no other field is closed to those who are not white and male, as is the visual arts. After I decided to be an artist, the first thing I had to believe was that I, a black woman, could penetrate the art scene and that further I could do so without sacrificing one iota of my blackness or my femaleness or my humanity. Name that artist. I'll give you a minute to think about it and we'll be back.
All right. Question number one. Considered one of the greatest feminist pieces of modern women's art, the dinner party is a massive ceremonial banquet room complete with three tables, linens, and 39 place settings commemorating the important women in history. Who is the artist of this piece? Judy Chicago. Yes, you got it. It is a, the single piece by which the Elizabeth A. Sackler Center for Feminist Art at the Brooklyn Museum is centered around. The settings consist of embroidered runners, gold chalices and utensils, and china-painted porcelain plates with raised central motifs that are based on vulvar and butterfly forms, that's vagina, oh. and rendered in styles appropriate to the individual women being honored. Uh, the names of another 999 women are inscribed in gold on the white tile floors below the triangle table. Great. And this permanent installation is enhanced by rotating herstory gallery mm-hmm. exhibitions relating to the 1,038 women honored at the table. Nice. I have not seen it personally. I have been to the Brooklyn Museum, but I don't know why. I think it was closed mm-hmm. when I went. Okay. Question number two, the contemporary artist Kara Walker received a lot of attention for her 35-foot-tall, 75-foot-long installation sculpture of a sphinx in Brooklyn entitled A Subtlety, done in an empty plant due for demolition. What related substance was the sphinx made from? Is it sand? Is it sugar? It was sugar. Yeah. Yes, it was officially entitled, here it comes, A Subtlety or The Marvelous Sugar Baby, an homage to the unpaid and overworked artisans who have refined our sweet tastes from the cane fields to the kitchens of the new world on the occasion of the demolition of the Domino Sugar Refining Plant. Wouldn't it have been so expensive? Yeah. Have all that? Um, It was huge and it was... um, it was a sphinx in the image of um, like a black woman, like a Mamie mm. character. Okay. Um, there was like a scarf tied around her mm. head and like she was nude and it was, it's a very interesting piece. There's a lot of photographs online. Obviously, it's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, I remember seeing Kara Walker early on. She's best known for her silhouette installation pieces having to do with racism, slavery, and idealized depictions of the antebellum South. Um, she had an installation in actually the lobby of the MFA a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, cool. Um, and she's like a, an art world, after a subtlety, she was like an art world darling. Like <laughs> everyone loved her and she took a couple of years off. And this past summer, I want to say she had a new installation that was kind of making fun of her being an art world darling. Oh. <laughs> um, which was kind of clever. I don't remember, but her... Artist statement was something like, the hottest thing to hit the art world. Her work is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, Okay. Question (laughs) number three. The pottery artist Beatrice Wood was the inspiration for a famously topless film character from a very popular movie. Who was the character and the movie? I don't know. It is Rose DeWitt Boudicca from Titanic. Boudicca? Bucater. Bucater. (laughs) Was that? I think that was her last name. Yeah. I had no idea that she was based on a real person. Hmm. So there you have it. Titanic. Who knew? Um, another James Cameron reference. Yeah. In two episodes. Hmm. He just infiltrates everything. Um, question number four. Which artist is considered to be the first professional female painter of Britain? I don't know. That's Mary Beale. I didn't know either. Um, she was a contemporary with Peter Lely, who was uh, very prominent in the uh, court of Charles I. So this was... 17th century yes this was yes 17th century she started her own business and supported her family on her paintings uh she was a shrewd outspoken badass who was remarkably talented she was really like she did not hesitate to tell you what was what so her stuff still exists today her stuff still exists today um she was primarily a portrait artist because Mm. she worked in the courts of europe okay um and uh she there's a self-portrait of hers in a london gallery Hmm. 
and I cannot remember. Um, question number five, Georgia O'Keeffe, the famous artists of which are definitely flowers, had a long-term relationship and artistic collaboration with what equally famous male photographer? Ansel Adams. No, it was Alfred Stieglitz. Mm. He often photographed her occasionally topless, but he loved taking pictures of her neck and especially her hands. He was like obsessed with her hands. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures of her like touching her neck, like caressing. They had a very like very Mm. sexual relationship, but he he would often take photos of her sewing because he loved her hands and how like she had very long, beautiful fingers. So there's a couple of very famous black and white sepia tone photos Mm. of her hands that are still like floating around. Question number six, Yayoi Kusama's repeat pattern installation art has become especially popular with the Instagram set, mostly due to her favorite pattern. What is that pattern? Isn't it polka dots? It is polka dots. Um, It's like you see the white mannequin with like big big, orange dots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her installations, uh, when I was in Chelsea, like several years back for a museum studies thing, and she would use those... um, storage containers that you would see like they they had like the roll-up garage Mm. doors Mm -hmm. and she would turn them into like installations where you could actually walk in yeah and there were like balls on the ground and Mm -hmm. all sorts of things but everything was polka dot and you would definitely like feel disoriented so like all the mirrors too yes Mm -hmm. and she had she (laughs) seen pictures where she's like 88 now she always wears like a bright red bob wig with very blunt bangs and only wears polka dots and for someone who has such a cheery, like, oeuvre, mm-hmm. her face all the time looks like she wants to kill you. Like, she just <laughs> looks like the most, her face is just like the most miserable thing. <laughs> I'm sure she's a very happy person, but whatever. Question number seven, this German artist, Hannah Hoke, was a Dada artist during the Weimar period. Um, she was a pioneer of what artistic technique, which uses other photographs as its medium? Is it like when they... Um make a big collage out of a bunch of other little photographs yes and like color tone it and all that stuff i don't know what it's called it's called a photo montage okay um what you're thinking of is like chuck close where it's like i mean he painted that but like where it's it's like if you get up close it's like individual photos then you back hers is more like um just like collage she would take photos or um ads from magazines and cut them out and because she was a dada artist she got away with it Mm -hmm. because it was just like weirdness we're weird Mm -hmm. right dada um, question number eight, Mar- Maria Montoya Martinez was a Pueblo Native American artist whose work is still highly collectible today. What kind of artwork did she do? How about pottery? Yes, you are absolutely correct. She was a ceramicist and a potter. She and her whole family used traditional Pueblo pottery techniques to make what's known as blackware or black on black. Hmm. And it's like a, a matte black pot with like a glossy black Im- like like design. It's Ooh. cool to look at. That would be cool on nails, too. Ooh, it would be cool on nails. <laughs> oh, man, I should do that. It's my, it's my, it's my um, manicure uh, homage to Maria Montoya <laughs> Mentinez. Uh, question number nine. A lot of moms, I hope you know this one. A lot of moms know her work, love her work. My mom had one. Which Pittsburgh-born painter and printmaker was most famous for her depictions of mothers and children in loving embraces? Mary Cassatt. It was Mary Cassatt. We had one. I think it was in our nursery. My nursery Mm. was of one of like the mother and child in a beautiful nursing embrace. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know what happened to it. Mom, what happened to it? Do you still have it? (laughs) Text me when you get this. I won't talk to you until then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And finally, question number 10, this sculptor and activist artist statement was thusly, 
No other field is close to those who are not white and male, as is the visual arts. After I decided to be an artist, and the first thing I had to believe was that I, a black woman, could penetrate the art scene, and that further I could do so without sacrificing one iota of my blackness or my femaleness or my humanity. Why don't you tell me what the answer is? <laughs> Her name was Elizabeth Catlett. She was, um, she well, in the early 20th century, she went to Howard University. Her mother worked like five jobs so that she could go there. She graduated summa cum laude. Mm. She was a sculptor. She uh, learned the art of sculpting uh, under several like famous Mexican artists and actually moved to Mexico after becoming a socialist. Nope. Um, she lived like all great and varied life. And actually, there are several pieces in the Memorial Art Gallery here in Rochester, New York. Oh, very cool. Um and she was very prolific. I think she died in the 90s and she was working right up until then. She worked in various mediums. She sculpted, she did printmaking, she did painting and drawing, all sorts of stuff. She's great. Wow. So that is my quiz on great women artists. So now you know some great women artists and they exist. Yeah. Linda Nochlin. Well, she was speaking, you know, facetiously, but. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for listening, you guys. Yay. I hope. Uh, I hope you liked my my women study uh, topic. Um, please, if you like us, please rate, review, and subscribe. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. Um, and uh, you can get us on our RSS feed. Yeah, you sure can. Yeah, you sure can. Uh, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. We're at misinfopod. Uh, we have a website, www.missinfopod.com. We, and also we're on Facebook, Misinformation and Trivia Podcast. So. Is that it? Okay. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Oh, also, if you guys have any cool trivia, like if you have trivia that you bust out at a party where, you know, no one's talking or no one's talking to you and you're like, hey, did you know that uh, James Joyce loved underpants and he kept a tiny pair in his pocket <laughs> and he would like put it on his fingers and walk across the bar. It's one of my favorite topics. One of my favorite pieces of trivia. How about you let us know and we will give you a shout out on the podcast. Yeah. We're thinking of having a new segment. Yeah. We're listeners submitted trivia. Facts. Yeah. We'll, we'll workshop the name. Yeah, sure. And we'll, maybe we'll have a little theme song that was saying, Ooh, let's, I'm mm-hmm. excited about that. Here we go. So, uh, please reach out to us. You can email us that little tidbit of trivia information. Mm-hmm. You can tweet at us that you can yeah. write it on our Facebook page. Again, we're very reachable. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, let us know your favorite trivia and we will shout you out on the podcast. Yeah. So, please do that for us, guys. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.